Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Philippe Matthews Show at thepmshow.tv. Named the Oprah of the Internet by Mark Victor Hansen, Philippe Matthews doesn't ask questions that are different. He simply asks questions that make a difference. The Philippe Matthews Show features entertainers, bestsellers, authors, thought leaders, change agents, and world-class experts in the field of personal, spiritual, and professional development. An internet marketing entrepreneur, Philippe is the creator of the How Movement, dedicated to teaching people how to move from the mindset of hope to the process of how. If you are ready to take your life to the next level, move from the mindset of why to the mindset of why not. Tune in right now to this latest edition of the Philippe Matthews Show and watch your life grow. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Philippe Matthews Show, and um, uh, we, we've got an exciting show today uh, and, and a very serious uh, show, uh, something that every one of us has uh, uh, unfortunately had to deal with, and that is grief, uh, whether that's a loss of, uh, of a job or income to the loss of a loved one. And uh, we brought on an expert today by the name of Russell Friedman who wrote a wonderful book called Moving Beyond Loss. How are you, my friend? Hi, Philip. Nice to speak to you today. Uh, uh, excellent. It's, it's nice to be spoken to. You also wrote this, co-wrote this with John W. <laughs> you also co-wrote this with John W. James. Is that right? Absolutely. John is the founder of this organization, and though you and I will have fun and the listeners will learn and have a little fun, this all starts on a very serious note in 1977 when John James and his then wife had a three-day-old baby son die. And in the mm. aftermath of that death and not knowing what to do, John found himself standing at the beach in Santa Monica with a gun at his head because he, he couldn't figure out how he was going to live another 50 or 60 years feeling the way he did. Wow. And he had tried every Everything to get help, and and he stood at the beach, and, and you know what, Philippe? He, as he tells the story, he chickened out. He's put the gun down and said, "I'm, but I'm going to go try to find a way. And if I can't find a way to feel different than I feel today, I'm not going to stay around." So he went on an odyssey of trial and experimentation to figure out what he could do. And in one of the things he stumbled on, he had had his younger brother when John was 25, his 20-year-old brother laid down and take a nap and died. Somehow John's survived that. He, he also survived the early death of his father. Mm. And yet with the baby, something was different. And, and so he said to himself, what's the difference between this and when my brother died and my father died? And all of a sudden it dawned on him that he didn't have that much of a relationship with his three-day-old son in terms of time or accomplishments or anything. And what he realized was it was all the hopes, dreams, and expectations he had for the future with the son he was you know and had where he was going to be a better father to his son than his father had been to him and all that that, you bet and at the same time the losses in his past you got it in one my friend and that little piece the hope streams and expectations piece is what opened the door for john to discover that there were also a whole host of things he wished had happened differently better or more along with the future that didn't happen and when he started putting the pieces together he was able to help himself become emotionally complete with the death of that child who he really didn't get to know and then he started helping people started dragging people to john's door learning that he had kind of survived what he'd been through and he started helping others, although he, back in the day, was in the construction business. And eventually, he had more people come to see him for help with their grief than to build their houses. Mm. And uh, he he gave up the, the that business and went full-time. And in the process, 
Philippe, he realized that the, the method that he was developing for helping himself and others deal with death not only applied to just death of children, but death of parents, death of spouse, death of friend. And then he started to realize that it involved the death of relationships, i.e. divorce or estrangement. And right about then, 26 years ago, is when I got involved. And when John and I rewrote a book called The Grief Recovery Handbook, and we rewrote it to include divorce and other losses as part of this method of ours that mm -hmm. could help anyone deal with losses. You know, and, and in today's world, our latest edition of The Grief Recovery Handbook Book, the 20th anniversary edition includes loss of faith, loss of health, loss of career. I mean, you know, I'm sure you personally know, as I do, many, many people whose lives were sent financially sent a tumble over the last several years with the financial crisis. Absolutely. And so those are grief issues. Yeah, those are huge grief issues. So we approach all of them. And in this new book, Moving Beyond Loss, we create hope for people that not only recovery is possible, but there are actions they can take to help themselves if they just to access those actions in the safe environment. Well, let's talk about this, Russ, because, you know, you, you, you mentioned quite a bit of things uh, in relation to to loss and grief, whether that's, uh, you know, loss of a job, loss of income, loss of faith, uh, loss of a loved one, divorce, relationship. All of those have different emotional charges, um, you know, in, in, in our brains. And, and, and so how do you deal with um those those variances. I mean, the loss of one's faith uh, truly can be, uh, uh, you know, as devastating as the loss of a loved one. But they're still different, radically different. How does that work? What? You know, it's a glorious question, Philippe. Let me acknowledge you for the question because, yes, there are differences, but they're not the differences you think they are. The differences aren't exclusively based on what kind of loss it is. It's much more based on who you are and what you bring to all loss. In other words, Philippe, the individual human being brought up in his family, in his time, in his place, learned certain things. And he learned different things than his own brother's and sisters, I guarantee your siblings will have a different take on certain things than you do on the same thing. So the real key that I'm saying is that every grieving person is unique and individual in their relationship to the unique loss they're grieving. So rather than categorize the losses or categorize groups, what we say is that you individually have a unique relationship to anyone, living or dead. You have a unique relationship to the events that affect you. You and your wife would have a different relationship to any event that affects both of you equally, but it will affect you differently because of who you are and what you bring in. So we're gonna, I'm going to agree with you and then kind of pleasantly disagree and take it out of the grouping and put it in right smack on you, the individual, because your grief is only about you. It's never about any other human being on planet Earth. Now, this is absolutely, I'm loving this, Russ. This is so cathartic uh, <laughs> and, and fantastic. I'm loving this. By the way, I have never done that little piece that I just did with you. This was a first, and I've done, I don't know, two or 3,000 radio interviews over the years, and that was just lovely. I mean, just something about you gives me I – I don't know if you can hear the energy of my voice. There's something about you that I'm using to energize myself. I'm not going to give you credit or blame. I'm just – I feel great, and I, I would, we have just stumbled on – we've got a little accidental magic here, my friend. Yeah, this is, this is terrific. Uh, so, so, so here's what I want to – here's what I want to ask you. So – so, so example, you, you, you really uh, blew my mind when you talked about John, how he was mourning the loss of the future, which I can relate to because when I was 14, I lost my mother, which subsequently, of course, I've had some memories of my mother, of course, being 14 of the past, but really that was more about the loss of my future. What will it look like? What will it be without her? Recently, just last week, a friend of mine, lost his wife of 37 years. Uh, my sweetheart is fine. We went to the funeral, and we just literally both wept because we just felt his loss of all of those memories, uh, and we're, still, we're just, you know, 10 years into our relationship. Um, how, do you, how, how do you deal with uh, all of the, uh, the time issues? Wow, and that, that's a great question. Let me, I'm going to wrap three or four different things around this. I'm going to start with mom, your mom, and my mom. 
Last uh, Saturday, I think, was March 3rd. March Mm -hmm. 3rd would have been my mother's birthday. My mother died the day before Thanksgiving 19 years ago, very suddenly. But March 3rd, her birthday, always is a date that rings in my heart because I remember my mother. I call and talk to my brother and my sisters and my spouse, and we talk about it, and we laugh, and we cry, and we remember. So let's start with that. Then let's go to the fact that you go to this event, this funeral, for this woman and a couple who died, and you, are, you and your spouse are just filled with emotion. But before we get to the amount of time they were married compared to you, I want to go to Anderson Cooper. I was on the Anderson Cooper show several years ago in the week after Ronald Reagan died. And I was mm. sitting in a little office on Sunset Boulevard with a suit and tie on, which is like a strange costume for me. I'm not a suit and tie guy, and I've got a little <laughs> earplug in my ear. <laughs> I'm in a dark room, and there's just a camera in there. And I'm waiting to go on the live air with Anderson Cooper, who was out in front of the Capitol Rotunda where Reagan's body lay in state. And a voice comes on the uh, on the earphone, it was the producer. He said, Mr. Friedman, thanks for coming on. really appreciate it. He said, Anderson Cooper will be with you in a moment. I said, thank you. A few seconds later, a voice comes on. It's Anderson Cooper. He said, Mr. Friedman, I said, please call me Russell. He said, Russell, uh, is there anything in particular you'd like to talk about in this interview? And I said, oh, gosh, yes. A lot of people knew Ronald Reagan and liked him. Some loved him. A lot of people knew of Ronald Reagan and hated him, didn't like him, his politics or his acting. But it does doesn't matter. He was a major figure we all knew of. And when he died, what it does is make us go on a search for what we know about death. And when we go on a search for what we know about death, we know about grief and what we know about sadness and what we know about emotional pain. It all is a trigger for our own stuff. So you may be thinking about uh, your grandfather who died or even your dog who died when you were a kid. It will bring up your brain says, what do I know about sad? What do I know about grief? And he said, quote, oh, my God, is, and then we're not on the air yet. He said, oh, my God, is that why since Reagan died a few days ago, all I can think of is my father who died and my brother who died. I don't know if you know, his, both his father and brother had committed suicide over the years, you know, Anderson mm. Cooper's. And he said, I said, yes, that's why. And he said, do you mind if we opened with that? I said, I would love it. And the whole interview had very little to do with Ronald Reagan. It had to do with the stimulus or trigger of his death and what it does to each of us to go find to get our unique and individual reaction to losses, and they're all our own. We don't cry so much about the people, even when we love them. We cry about ourselves, and that's not a bad thing. It's not narcissistic. So when you and your wife were emotionally affected at this funeral, it's about you. Now, finally, we can get to the issue of time. Does time have a place in long-term relationships? Yes, it does. The longer you're together, the more intense the connection is, even if the connection is a bad one. I have personally talked to almost 100,000 grieving people, a vast majority of whom were widows and widowers who had been married 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. And one thing I can tell you is the death of a long-term spouse, I've paraphrased this a million times, is like losing a piece of your body. And everyone, they get that. Now, but I also talk to them about the more, more important issue, which is their relationship with the person who died. And some of the people I've talked to, Philippe, they basically bickered every day for 60 years. But there was a love in that that was as equal to any Romeo and Juliet story you've ever Absolutely. heard. So we've got to be very careful in how how we define what love really is and what love really isn't. It's the connection. It's to, to get, you can have a bond of hatred, and I know that sounds a little weird, and I don't mean to be odd here, but the mm-hmm. bond is by, by, by time spent together. Now, we would still, on the other hand, when it comes to grief recovery, what I do, we never, ever compare losses. So you're, if, God forbid, your spouse should die, what I can guarantee you is that you would be 100 percent 
devastated to the absolute maximum degree possible for you. Now, for that other person whose wife died, even though it was 37 years, I guarantee it couldn't be more than 100%. So the key in helping people is to discover what are all the things. Now, watch this. When a spouse dies, no matter what the age, we're left with unrealized hopes, dreams, and expectations for the future, just like mm -hmm. John was with the baby. And it doesn't matter if you're 85 and your spouse is 85 and one of you dies. Guess what? You're, you want more. If you love someone, you want more, and the death robs you of more. So mm. we will never compare. We're going to take each individual griever right into their heart, not their head. We don't work with people's heads. They're not important. It's the heart that matters. By the way, something else that went by, I made a note when we were first talking, you were listening some of the losses I mentioned. What we also have to get out there for people to hear is that gains are losses too. And let me define, grief is the conflicting feelings caused by a change or an end in a familiar pattern of behavior. Change is the key. Have you ever heard or read, Philippe, the statistics of what happens to people who've won major lotteries all over the world? Oh, now, 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 Russ, now you're going to be on the show for two or three hours now. This is great. You bet. You this is incredible. Now you're talking my stuff here, Russ. Now this is great because yep. uh, this is something nobody really gets, and I really want people to get this, that, uh, you know, it is kind of like a, a Freudian kind of thing. It's like why do we fear uh, success as much as we fear failure or the loss of it? What, what, what is that? Talk to us about that. Well, again, watch that definition. Grief is the conflicting feelings caused by a change or an end in a familiar pattern of behavior. It isn't about good or bad or right or wrong. It's about difference. So if I get millions of dollars all of a sudden, my who I think I am has changed. And all of a sudden, mm. I have more friends and more cousins than I ever had. But it is unfamiliar <laughs> to me. And right. watch this. 90% of the people who win major lotteries all over the world lose all the money within three years, and we're talking millions here, not hundreds, millions. Now, the only people, and this isn't 100%, but it's almost 100%, the people who don't lose all the money are that 10% of folks who already were wealthy. So getting wealthier doesn't affect them as much if you and I are middle class, whatever you want to call it, and all of a sudden we have millions, we can't accommodate who we are. By the That's same token, people who... Yeah, people who get raises, get bumped up in jobs, get a higher yeah. category, often have to leave that company. They can't accommodate it. The change is too much. Now, I'm going to also, let's go move from money to something else, although there's a money aspect to it. Let's say you move from a small house to a bigger house, from a mm -hmm. not-so-good neighborhood to a better neighborhood. Okay. Guess what? Major grieving incident. Because grief is the conflicting feelings caused by change or end in familiar. When you move, everything has changed. Even if it's better, it's not better to your your brain, body, heart, and soul want a thing that's called stasis, S-T-A-S-I-S. -S. It means it wants to recognize things the way it knows them. Change confuses us. Even though we say we love change, it, it, wow. it really affects us. This is amazing. <laughs> Yep. Oh, my it's all God. Great. We have to grieve all of it. We have to deal. Now, in our book, our second book is called When Children Grieve. And in it, there's a chapter devoted to helping your children, the first, especially in the first major move. Remember, if you have a child, and by the time the child's five or six, he's lived in one house his whole little life or her little life, and all of a sudden you're going to move, everything familiar changes. It is terrifying to them. Mm, so we teach I people how that. to go. What John and his wife did when their little son was seven and they had their first move, they went into each room and talked and said, remember the time that happened here? Remember when you slipped a fellow? Remember the time we got your presents here? Oh, man, we thanked the house for keeping us warm when it was cold out and keeping us cool when it was hot out. And we go to each room and remember things and talk and laugh and cry. And then we say goodbye to each room and we say goodbye to the house. And when that little boy, Cole, who was now 30, moved out of that house when he was seven, he was able to go into the new house and make it his home because his daddy and mommy helped him become emotionally complete with the old house. Now, that may sound silly, but I know it doesn't sound silly to you because I know you're getting what I'm saying. Absolutely. We must complete our relationship to everything. That is so freaky. Oh, my God. All right, so just <laughs> the act of change creates grief because it's the unfamiliar. 
Absolutely. And unfamiliar is the key wow. word. Now, all right. Oh, I wrote awesome. a triumvirate. I wrote, we'll be we'll be on the air forever. But we, <laughs> I wrote a triumvirate of articles years ago called the F words. One was fear, one was forgiveness, and one was familiarity. And familiarity, now familiarity has other problems. Uh, sadly, you and I have both heard of, hopefully we haven't known, but you've heard of women in particular and some men who have been battered. And they keep going back into an yes. abusive situation. And the yes. question is, why would they go? Why would they go there? And the answer is it's familiar. It doesn't feel good. Do you think it feels good to get hit, bashed up, beaten? No, but it's familiar. And almost without exception, people who are being battered now were beaten when they were children. It is what they are familiar with. It's their identity. And it's, it takes many generations to break the cycle of abuse because of the familiarity aspect, not comfort familiarity. And this is something that runs a theme throughout grief. Why do people keep getting in bad romantic relationships? Because it's familiar. And then they can identify themselves Philippe, and know how to behave, even if it ends up in tragedy. So wow. as, as simple as this is, is as sophisticated as it is, and, and the, the real good news for everyone listening is that solution is possible. There are actually, the grief recovery that we teach in the Moving Beyond Loss and our other books is the actions to help you complete your relationship to pain, to painful events, to problems within relationships, good, bad, or ugly, so that you can make better and newer choices rather than choosing the same pain over and over or choosing bad relationships over and over. So it's really a, a way out of the of of that of that hole people dig for themselves over and over. Okay, let's let's talk let's let's let the people know that this is called the grief recovery method. Uh what is the web address for people to uh go and find out and, and get direct information from you guys? You you bet. Just put www in front of griefrecoverymethod.com. Take you right to our site. On the top banner, there's some blogs and articles. If you click on that link, there's hundreds of articles we've written over the years that are accessible, downloadable. You can print them, read them, uh, spend some time, look at the article, debunking the stages of grief because there aren't any. That will be our next show together. We'll debunk that. I did it in a major magazine article a few years ago and really change people's corpuscles learning there are no stages of grief. There never were. Wow. Uh, it's, well, let, I'm going to talk it, about it, that because we're going to talk about the different types of myths that people have. But actually you have really triggered a whole other segment uh, for me, <laughs> and, and that is I want to talk about um, the effects of, let's, let's use the uh, term generational poverty, people who are financially struggling, uh, born into poverty, uh, and uh, try to work their way out, they are going through uh, a series uh, of grief. Uh, how, does that, how, how does one work through that? Because, of course, they're going to try to, with the familiar, try to go and find something that is familiar, and so they self-sabotage themselves. They do things that are completely contradicting uh, of, 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 you know, normal, quote-unquote normal behavior of someone who wants to be successful. But this is all sparked and stemming from grief management. Well, absolutely. And you, in your, in your intro to the question, you gave the answer. The answer is that dreaded F word, familiar. What mm. the sabotage is based on familiar, without exception. And you, you, even in just speaking it, you had that built right in. It was perfect. You are hearing what I'm saying clearly. And it isn't that what I'm saying is so brilliant. It's that it's, it is there in nature. What I'm mm -hmm. saying makes sense. And you're going, uh-huh, uh-huh, yes. Oh, now that, there's some, aha moments when I talk oh, about totally, them, but totally. it's really no an idea. awareness of Right. Yes, you did. The point is you did, but you didn't have the – I just have the language for it. It's what I do 24-7. Because when I say it, you go, oh, oh, my goodness, yes, and you've always known it but didn't know – you know, I know how to articulate it. That's my yes, job. Yes, My yes, job well is said, to get well you said. to understand it. And, and for them, the trap is familiarity, just like I have been talking about the abuse, the, the not being able to break the bondage, and it really is a slavery, the bondage to the familiar, which is the gutter which is the ghetto, which is the pain, which is the uh, bad circumstance. To not be able to lift yourself out isn't because you don't have energy or pride or whatever. It's that the, the lure 
the lure of familiar is so hard. Why does an alcoholic keep going back to the alcohol? Why do drug addicts go back to drugs? Why do people go back to painful situations? It's because they know them, and then they know how to behave. And, and people who want to dig themselves out really have to fight a, as much a battle as a recovering alcoholic or anyone else to do something new and different, even though the old thing sings to them. It sings a siren song that says, come on back, come on back, you'll be okay. And yet, and so, now, if, it, what they need to do is grieve and complete their relationship to the circumstances that they had been in so they can choose a new one. And I'm going to make a statement here. It's one of the most profound things we can say. Not everybody will understand it right away. They will after they read our books. But here's the statement. Unresolved grief drains energy and robs choice. Let me say that again. Unresolved mm. grief drains energy and mm -hmm. robs choice. Now, yes. I want you to think of grieving people you've known who've been in a loop of grief, and you can see how the grief has just sucked the energy out of them and has yes. taken away their will yes. to live. It has exhausted them on a day-to-day -day basis, and it robs choice. When you're talking about the people who sabotage themselves, whether in career area or lifestyle area or whatever, and think about now. Let's think about this. Let's put it in the context everybody knows about. The divorce rate for first marriages is 50%. Huge. Now, that is based on the fact that most people have a boyfriend or girlfriend or lover of some sort before they meet the person who's their spouse. And almost so all their prior relationships have ended, often badly or poorly, and then they take the unfinished business of the old relationship and drag mm -hmm. it into the new one, thereby guaranteeing the failure of the new one sabotaging it, okay, and then they get divorced. And then at some point they start feeling human again without necessarily having done grief recovery, and they go get married again. Now, did you know the second marriage divorce rate is 63%? Hmm. And if you didn't know that, you probably don't know that the third marriage divorce rate is in the 70 percentile. So oh, replace the oh, loss, which is one of the... Oh my gosh! It get, and so it's all wow. unresolved grief is cumulative and cumulatively negative, and because time can't heal an emotional wound, it can only uh, get uh, worse. Uh, it can't uh, back get up, better. back up, Russ. Back up, back up. That's one of the myths. Time does you not bet. heal a wounded heart. Back, to, That's to, right. Bring that out. Talk to us about that because that is one of the biggest myths that we all it'll get just better over time. Well, I actually, I actually snuck two myths in there on you. One is, is that time is, can't heal emotional. The other is replace the loss. Getting married again is just replace the loss. That's a huge myth. Now, mm. let's go back. Mm -hmm. when, you're, we have, when you have a, dog, a pet dog die you're little, or a hamster when you're a kid and your heart's broken, your parents go, don't feel bad on Saturday. We'll get you a new dog. Mm -hmm. What's the reality? <laughs> Can you replace a relationship? No. So mm -hmm. later, you're 15, you have your first girlfriend, you have a break up, you're moping across the playground, and someone says, hey, Philippe, don't feel bad. Here, have this. You'll feel better. And they give you a beer or a joint. And, 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 and then what, what they'll tell you is don't feel bad. There are plenty of fish in the sea, which is the first time you knew that you were dating a fish. You thought it was this lovely girl. It was a fish. I mm -hmm. mean, it's, it's absurd <laughs> that we're told to go get another girlfriend. And, and, wow. and so we go. But the next girlfriend or boyfriend the next one, we don't put our heart into it because we're afraid our heart will get hurt again, so we hold back. What do you think the holdback does? There's your sabotage built in. Now, yeah. I'm doing it, the girl's doing it because she's already had a breakup. This is not gender-specific, it's human-specific. Wow. If I've been hurt, I'll hold back when I hold back. And then the girl will say, well, you're not, you're not committed. And the guy will say, you're not, heart's not in it. Duh. They're both doing the same thing. The boy-girl thing is not relevant. What's relevant is people being afraid because they've been hurt and they hold back. So this just goes, so the myth of, of replace the loss is a false idea, the myth that time heals, and let's, let's do time heals. Probably the most pernicious of all myths is the idea that time heals all wounds or it just takes time. So I want the listeners who are not driving a car right now, I want them to imagine this. Close your eyes, 
You walk out to the parking lot, keep your eyes closed, you walk out to the parking lot, and you come up to your car, you see your car is a flat tire. Oh, keep your eyes closed. Now, have the image, you got the flat tire in the car. Here's the question. Would you pull up a chair and sit down and wait for air to jump back in that tire? <laughs> if you did, we come back a hundred years later, Philippe, and there's your skeleton with the clothes on, and that tire is, guess what, still flat, because time won't put air back in that tire anymore, and time will fix your heart. Now, right. we know what has to happen. One of two things with the car, you either realize, oh, this is why cell phones were invented, so I can call the auto club to come fix the tire, or you get out the jack and see if you can find the darn spare tire under your golf clubs and everything and change the tire. One way or another, an action has to be taken, or that car is going nowhere. Mm. Now, the metaphor or is this. A, a, an emotionally broken heart is remarkably like a flat tire, isn't it? The get up and go has got up and went. The ability to participate fully in life is limited. And without action, the heart not only doesn't get better, it gets worse. Now, earlier in this chat, I told you that I've talked to nearly 100,000 grieving people, a huge percentage of whom were widows or widowers after 30, mm -hmm. 40, 50, 60 year marriages. I can tell you that I, in almost every conversation I've ever had over 26 years with those folks, that there's a point at which I say, gee, I guess you realize by now they lied to us that time doesn't fix your broken heart. And about 99.9% .9 of them have said without a pause, Philippe, they say, yeah, and it seems like it it's getting worse. Now, mm -hmm. you've got to realize, mm -hmm. by the time someone has called me on my 800 number, it's usually a year or two after a death of someone has affected them or a divorce. They are devastated. Nobody's listening to them. They feel so lost and alone that they're calling a stranger on an 800 number for help. And I'm the first person who's, who says something different to them than they've ever heard. I never mm -hmm. tell them don't feel bad. But I might, I might say something, gosh, I imagine it was like losing a piece of your body. And they'll go, oh, my God. And I might say, I imagine with all this grief, you're just exhausted. And they go, oh, my God, how'd you know? Mm -hmm. that's who, I know these things because of my own life and from talking to 100,000 people to find out what is true for them. And all of them tell me that what happens if you don't take action, it only gets worse. It's, what it is, it's like a trash compactor in your body. So earlier when I said unresolved grief is cumulative and cumulative, negative and you had a large reaction it was a perfect reaction oh my gosh that's a revelation kind of moment for Absolutely. people hearing oh I never thought of it that way sure well sure. if you don't get it out of you it's gonna stay in you and by the that's way right. talking about grief isn't a cure when you talk about grief what do you get good at talking about grief where's the beautiful beautiful part? Russell beautiful I love that so the part, <laughs> this is great the pity party, uh, going out getting drunk with the boy. This is incredible. And, and if you if you think about it, which you, I think you already have in that flash of a moment, and everyone listening, thinks, you will all realize. You let's hope it's none of you listening, but you all know people who you go, oh my gosh, that's just like my friend Bill or Nancy or Mary. Yes. It is them having this grief chip on their shoulder, which is uh, runs every ounce of their life, and they can't get past it. And hey, God forbid, Russ, you know what? I'm sure some people are saying the same thing that I'm saying, and that is also, that's me. Yes, there may be some. And I, you know, I, if you know you're what I'm saying? That, it's like I'm hearing it, yeah. I'm seeing myself. Yeah. Now, the good news, sir, everybody, take a deep old breath, everybody. This is great. And this realize, great. if even if you recognize it's true for you, please hear this. Recovery is possible. Otherwise, I wouldn't exist. This organization wouldn't exist. My partner would have killed himself a long time ago. Gosh only knows where I would be all these years later. And I didn't arrive at the Grief Recovery Institute on the, uh, as a result of a death. My presenting issues when I got here 26 years ago, I was in the aftermath of my second divorce and a bankruptcy for a half a million dollars. And the combination of those two things really brought me to my emotional knees. I mean, at a level I can't even, almost can't put language on because it was you uniquely me and mm -hmm. but it and, but it between the two things it was like I was 44 years old yeah that's right yeah 44 years old I'm 70 now and and I, I will tell you at that point in time I will tell you this I would have exchanged my existence with anyone on planet earth that's how unhappy mm. I was
And today, 26 years later, although there have been many other losses in my life since then, but now I've learned how to deal with them, now I wouldn't trade my existence with anybody. And that's the transition. Now, and I have to comment, I just recently had what my best friend of, of, of 42 years just died a few weeks ago suddenly. I have to accommodate, deal effectively with, complete my relationship to the pain of the losses that affect my life, just like anyone else, because I know stuff doesn't make me immune to grief. In fact, quite the opposite. It makes me more, not vulnerable, more aware of what hurts my heart. But I know the actions I need to take. And, and this is another thing. I want everybody to hear this. Um, I'll, let me do this a question. I'll let you, you answer the question. I have my spouse, Alice. We've been together 27 years. I love her mm -hmm. more than I have words for it. Okay? Now, um, do I have a guarantee that she will be alive when I get home tonight? Mm, unfortunately not. I don't. Would you recommend, as my guidance counselor, would you recommend that I withhold some of my love from her so that if she happens to die that I won't be Would you recommend that I withhold some love so I won't get hurt so bad? Yes or no? What do you think? Wow. No, I would not no, recommend that at okay. all. All right. Now, second part of the question, do I have any guarantee that when I get home later today that Alice will still love me and want to be with me? Yes or no? Yeah, that hurts. But no, you don't have a guarantee of that either. I don't have a guarantee. Should I withhold some love and affection based on that and therefore sabotage a relationship by holding back? What do you think? Oh, I hope there's a better part, Russ. This is coming. No, I don't have a guarantee. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, see, you're, you're a very good guidance counselor. So now here comes the trick question, Philippe. You ready for the trick? Okay. Do I have any guarantees at all, yes or no? Hmm. Wow. Okay, now you you got me stuck. The, the only guarantee is that there really isn't any guarantee. I mean, death is really the okay. only guarantee. But that's not true. In the in the case of what we're talking about, I do have a guarantee. God forbid Alice died between now and when I get home. God forbid I get home and she doesn't want to see me anymore or anything like that. One guarantee I have is the principles and actions of the grief recovery method that I would not only know what to do, but I would have people to help me and listen to me as I about the business of getting emotionally mm -hmm. complete with everything that did or didn't happen in the future that didn't get to happen. And that's what allows me to love Alice 24-7, 100%. I hold nothing back. It doesn't mean I'm perfect or Alice is perfect or we're perfect. It means I don't hold back. And by not holding back, I don't sabotage. And I guarantee you the biggest sabotage of all romantic relationships is sabotage by one and usually both holding back. Now, you may be intimate in one way or another, but holding back back means something at a different level of truth. And you can't be truthful if you're scared of, of, of losing someone or getting hurt. Now, I don't, wow. God, I would be, I can't even tell you how I would be. I don't even want to imagine, God forbid, something happens to Alice. You know, we're not puppies anymore. We're, we're not young people. But mm -hmm. I move mm -hmm. forward with the confidence that, God forbid, then I'll know what to do. And that wow. gives me the courage and willingness to always be open and honest. Now, what else do you want in a relationship beyond honesty and trust? There ain't much else to want, is there? I mean, <laughs> all the other things are bonuses, but that's the big sure. deal. Sure. Honesty and trust. Russell, what I'm hearing is from about you, all that. What I'm hearing from you is that uh, uh, billions of us are walking around like the living dead because we have not resolved our issues with all levels of grief as it happens or has happened to us and is happening to us. This is amazing. Amen. This is like a cancer. Amen. It's a cancer. Yes. Yes. And so all it is is an information cancer. It's not something that isn't fixable like most cancers. It's actually doable. The hardest part of everything we do is that it's too easy, Philippe, because everyone wants to fix things in their head. And in the, in the 26 years, talking to 100,000 people, not one of them ever came to me with a broken head. But every single one of them came to me with a broken heart. And I mm. know the toolkit to help them, and they're the only ones who know their own truth. I have some guidelines to help them access their truth. I can't know your truth. I'm lucky if I can get it my own. But I have the toolkit in this grief recovery method. And this book, The Moving Beyond Loss, which is the really theme book for our, for our reason for talking, it really gives hope and it shows real people in real situations that I write answers to them based on their real questions to me. It comes off a website called tributes.com where we have a big grief recovery center. 
Tributes.com is one of those memorial sites with national obituaries and local stuff. And uh, and and I recommend people go there. Look in the archives of the questions and answers that, that I have given to hundreds and hundreds of them are in there in at that site. But that's the book is made up of these interview these uh, interactions with people who write questions into us. And these are real grieving people in the trenches, Philippe, with real immediate issues and stories that are so unique you realize I couldn't have made them up if I wanted to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're more unique. I mean, and so and we're really honored to be able to help people. But I want people to get a copy of that book, you know, the library or the bookstore, Amazon or whatever. It's electronic and paperback and everything. But I want them to get a copy of it to give themselves hope that recovery is possible and to see that they're not alone out there, but that there is a solution. The alone them. is fine, but you need a solution, yes. Let me ask you this. Uh, you know, one of the things, uh, and, and I'm going to speak to you from a personal place because, I'm, you know, I wanted to, people to realize that this is real. And, you know, yeah, I do interviews and all that and, and, and uh, what have you, but I want to speak from a real place. So my friend uh, who lost his wife, um, you know, one of the things that, that uh, I think almost just by habit, uh, we always say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm sure she's in a better place. Um, uh, which, of course, you know, now speaking with you, understandably, is a myth. Do you think just, you know, is one of the best gifts that one could give is this book uh, so that they can begin to truly heal? And, and, and I'm not saying that from a standpoint of just trying to sell the book, although I do believe that this book needs to be in, in the household of every human being living on the planet Earth because now I get it, and this people don't really realize how, pivotal this is and how important this is uh, and how stuck they are because they are just on a hamster, like a hamster on a wheel, running and running and running around their grief. It's Absolutely insane. So they're trying to outrun them. their grief, but they yeah. can't. You can't outrun it. It's living inside of you. That's right. So, so you know, giving this book to a versus, um, uh, you know, sometimes giving people space, leaving them alone. What do you think is the best thing uh, to do for a, someone you care about, someone you know, uh, who's grieving? Okay, let me address first, uh, I'll come right to that, but you talked about that line, well, people are saying to your friend, well, she's in a better place. Now, let me respond to that real powerfully. It may well be true that the person who died is in a better place, and we all would hope that would be true, but here's the other major truth. The surviving widower, your friend, your pal whose wife died, I guarantee you, he is not in a better place. So yeah. when we talk about the person who died, we are missing the target. If I'm talking to Philippe, I talk to Philippe about Philippe. Talking about a third person is rarely helpful in this. And look at the danger. It dismisses his whole feeling of missing her by saying, there, don't feel bad, she's in a better place. But he feels bad because she's in a different place than here with him, in his mm-hmm. heart, in his life, mm-hmm. and his home. Now, mm-hmm. and she has been taken away for whatever reason. So I don't care what religious, spiritual, or philosophical beliefs you have, the Mm -hmm. griever misses the person they love. And to say she's in a better place or don't feel bad, she's not in pain anymore, which that's a virtue. But it's a virtue for the person who died, not the living person wished there had been a miracle and that not only her pain had ended, but she had been able to stay here and be in his life. So we Mm -hmm. have to address the, and you'll notice and throughout this interview, Wang, it's actually been more of a chat, which I've loved. It's not an interview, it's a chat. The language is crucial. Every word counts. How we say things, what we say. Say yes, makes a difference to yes. grieving people. Okay, now I see that. the I best see that. way to give this book, Moving Beyond Loss, or any of our other books, Grief Recovery Handbook and When Children Grieve in particular, and our third book, Moving On, which is about romantic endings. But the best and only way to give this book is get a copy of it. Read at least the first 58 pages. Read 60 pages. 
make yourself familiar with what it says. I don't want anyone listening to us to give this book without reading some of it first because it's unfair for you or me or anyone else to say, here's something I think you need because everyone wants, doesn't, because it makes them sound like they're a cripple or something. Mm-hmm. Say this, mm-hmm. here's a book that I found helpful. I thought you might get some value too. Yes. Now it's a shared experience rather than me saying, hey, you need therapy or you need yes. help or you need, you got a problem. So when in the giving of our books, we always recommend, and in three of our books, in the first 58 pages are part one. This book's a little different, but even so, read three or four, uh, 30 or 40 pages at least. Get a sense of what it says. Get a sense mm-hmm. of the message. You'll hear my voice in it. You, if, mm-hmm. you, if you've read some of it, you'll hear me because it's, it's, I wrote on behalf of my partner, John, I wrote the, all the answers, so I'm mm-hmm. sure you can hear me in mm-hmm. it. And, mm-hmm. And, and but it will create tremendous hope. It will give an idea and it will take some of those language flaws away. Things to say and not to say to grieving people are in there. So it's a very helpful book educationally. It's also a tremendous help emotionally. And 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 it's a provocation to go do some work rather than leaving stuff sitting inside of you where it only festers. To get mm-hmm. it out in an effective way. Not as a venting, but as a completion so that it doesn't haunt you. And so you can jump off that wheel and stop going round and round. Okay, let's let's go here. Let's go to another, let's go to, uh, to another place uh, real quick, Russ. Um, and, and may I call you Russ? Um, please, please do. Thank you, sir. So I'm grieving. I pick up the phone and I call the grief recovery uh, method or hotline. What am I going to expect? What's going to happen? Well, if you get me, what's liable to happen is a conversation that might be 10, 15, 20 minutes, something in that range, in okay. which uh, I would, in a very chatty way. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I'm a grief recovery specialist. I know my thing. And all of a sudden, we'd be talking almost like you and I have, where we're just going back and forth like people. And I would be, I would probably be leading it or guiding it. And then I'd be saying, oh, my gosh, I can't imagine how devastating this has been for you. Oh, my gosh, your heart must be broken in a trillion pieces. And for the first time since whoever died or since your divorce, you go, oh, my gosh, someone's finally hearing me. And someone isn't telling me don't feel bad she's in a better place. And someone isn't telling me don't feel bad you'll do better next time if you're a divorce. Someone is listening to me, hearing me, and then saying, wow, really powerful stuff. Now, the key to this is to remember that talk. Talking about grief only makes you good at talking about grief. Now it's time to move towards recovery. If you've called me for for help, it isn't so that you can stay stuck. It's so you can get out of the hole. So mm-hmm. I'm going to give you some guidance. And what I will do with almost every griever that calls, or I'll say, go get a copy of the Grief Recovery Handbook, read the first 58 pages, and then call me back. Because I, I want to put the ball in their court. I cannot make anyone better. I can guide them to actions that will help them, but they got to make a move. And so if they call me back, then I'll say, okay, now we'll get you in a position where you're going to choose to use the book and have a partner and do some work or go find one of our specialists and do some work. The key is doing the grief recovery actions. It's not The key isn't reading. It's the actions you take. And when you read Moving Beyond Loss, you saw in there where I say, okay, as you take the action, outlined in the book, you'll find a shift. It doesn't say just read the book. Mm-hmm. Reading mm-hmm. a book is great. It's a nice book. Doing the actions in the Grief Recovery Handbook is what saves lives and changes lives. So everyone is provoked. First of all, when they talk to me, they have a sense of humanity, a sense of hope. They hear someone who can explain to them that, that if they take actions, there can be a shift in how they feel. Because remember, when they call me, they're desperate. They've been that hamster on that wheel forever, and then no matter what happens, they keep feeling bad and then worse. And then after a while, because of that myth of time healing, people are saying, well, you should be over it by now, which is another implication that time would heal. Mm -hmm. And time doesn't heal. It makes it worse. Okay? Mm-hmm. If you if you get a cut and don't attend it, it gets infected. If you don't take care of that, it gets gangrene, then they cut off your arm. Well, it's not that much different emotionally. Because your heart gets cut out of the loop of living when you when you when you're holding on to pain, mm-hmm. so you need to take mm-hmm. action to complete what's unfinished, and that's really what this is all about. And when they call me in a relatively, you know, in a 15 or 20 minute or 10 minute conversation, I'm going to help them move towards action of recovery 
as opposed to just action of being in pain. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. And I, they're going to trust me enough or not to take some action on their own behalf. If they don't take action, nothing I can do. I can't force anyone to do anything. I can encourage yeah. them. I can help them. Sure. I can, I can give them a blanket of comfort and security, but they have to do the work because I can't know your truth. Only you can. Yes. Yeah, so being in a conversation with you, uh, I have had – uh, what I call some some massive confirmations, and I've also ha- I've also had uh, some some major aha moments. Uh, so so my question to you uh, is for those who uh, come to come to you guys, uh, is there a reasonable uh, time frame to look at, or is that not good to to have an expectation or anticipation of when this pain uh, uh, is, is going to end? Is it different with each, each individual, or is there something that is, you know, kind of on a timeline that's kind of predictable? No, it's very much a timeline, although it isn't, is it, it isn't exact and specific. Like I can tell you, if you get your tooth extracted, it'll take this much before the skin heal. It's a little, little not as specific, but close. For example, one of our programs that's run by our grief recovery specialists, our certified specialists, is a 12-week grief recovery outreach program. When our people work one-on-one with someone, it's seven weeks or seven sessions, usually a, a, a week apart. In the book itself, if people just to get together as Partners of the Grief Recovery Handbook, it, it's uh, six or seven sessions, usually a week apart. So we're not talking an eternity here. Now, can it go a little quicker? Yes, but we don't want it to because, uh, for example, I have just forced down everyone's throat a huge amount of information in the last, in this time we've been talking. That's a lot. I mean, I've just galloped mm-hmm. along mm-hmm. here at warp speed. I mean, if people mm-hmm. are really mm-hmm. oh, oh, my gosh, it's a lot sure, to take in. Sure, their hair back. We undo, yeah, exactly. Now, when people read the myths and realize, oh, my gosh, my whole life I thought I wasn't supposed to feel bad. And here's Russell saying that grief or sadness is a normal and natural reaction to love, that mm-hmm. feeling bad is correct in reaction to something that's painful, you know, uh, and that time can't heal and keeping busy is, is, a, is, is, is a distraction and that – being strong instead of being human makes no sense. And that, and that another one we didn't even touch on. Let me say a sentence, and you tell me the last word. You ready? Mm-hmm. Laugh and the whole world laughs with you. Cry and you cry. I don't know, you know what word one. goes in. Okay. Alone. Okay. Laugh and the whole world laughs with you. Cry and you cry. We were all taught to, to isolate our grief. That's why grievers isolate. It's because mm. they're taught to. If you're going to cry, young man, go to your room. Knock uh-huh, off that crying. Uh-huh. I'll give you a reason to cry. You relate to those? Yes, yes. Okay. So isolation is a problem for grievers, not because isolation is normal, but because isolation is something we learned. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. If you get good news, if something wonderful happens, what's the very first thing you want to do, Philippe? Well, share it. Tell somebody. Usually the one that's closest you to you. You guess. You bet. If you get a raise at work or something happens, oh, my God, sure. I call it. Hey, honey, guess what? Wow. Yeah. Now, what do you think the normal and natural reaction do you get? Let's say you get news that your favorite aunt died. What do you think the first natural impulse is to do with that information? Ah. Uh. Share it with someone you trust, and yet we're taught not to. And and then we're taught, don't burden others with your feelings. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And yet yet you have as much a need to share sad news as you do happiness. So there's a lot of them. Like I said, we we blow people's hair back. So I prefer if they don't race through the grief recovery handbook, do it at a pace where they can accommodate new ideas so that that the real change is possible for them. So and the pace. Doc, right there in the book. Yeah, and, I, and I'm calling you Doc. Just my default. It's so funny. It's just you know. I know you're not a doctor, but I'm just going to use that as a metaphor right now because it just fits. Uh, <laughs> so, so is is there? Uh, I know that people can call and go through these classes and courses. Uh, is, is there yeah. something that people can do at home? Are there are there techniques that spouses can do together? Mothers and fathers can yeah. children can do together. Yeah. Families can do together. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, uh, no, I, I, I the first part is, is yes. 
The first part is yes. The second part is no. Yes, there are things people can do either on their own, which is not preferred, or with a partner, but they should never, ever work with their own family members, ever. Husband and wife cannot work together on grief recovery. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up, Doc. Really? Now you're, yep, you're talking like about it. blowing my hair back. I have a bald head. I don't have any hair to blow back. <laughs> and it's blown so back. now <laughs> we're all in the scalp hair area and getting a massage here. This is great. Now you're saying the, the spouses should never do this work together, but what about all of the counseling that spouses are supposed to have and, and go to? What, what, how does this all factor into this? Because what I'm hearing is, is that if I heal myself and my grief, and she uh, or he heals their grief, uh, that we probably wouldn't have to go to counseling. Okay. That you got you got apples and giraffes mixed together. You did it beautifully, but you made a fruit salad out of apples and animals. Well, and I'm, I'm sorry, Doc. This is new to me. I'm trying to no, get it together here. I know. <laughs> My, no, no, I was making a joke. I hope I didn't mean that uh, defensively. Now, watch this. <laughs> Uh, let me let me explain this, and this really comes very much off of the original experience that John James had when his baby son died, mm -hmm. and this is one of the reasons why we've stuck to this overall time. Now, you got a mother and a father, and they have a baby die. Now, they each had their own unique relationship with their child who died, okay? Uh, one of the things that happens, because men take on the myth of being strong for their wives, so they have a baby die, and the mm -hmm. wife, they're both devastated, but the wife is crying and devastated. The husband puts on the be strong persona, okay? And do you know what the wife says? He didn't love our baby, because he's trying to be strong, mm -hmm. which he was programmed to do for her. Now, the other thing is, let's say you have a child, you and your spouse have a child, and you've got to hear this loud and clear. You each have a unique and different relationship with that child. And, and let's say the child wasn't a baby, and let's say the child was 10 or 12 or 14 years old, and you're talking, I remember when he did this, and he was, he was real mean-spirited to me. And the wife says, no, that wasn't him, honey, that was you. Now you can have the uh, parents having a fight. Okay? Now, let me give you a better example. You've got mother, daughter trying to do grief recovery together. Father has died. Husband, father has died. The daughter happens to know that dad was unfaithful to mom. Can they be mm. together? There's, if, ma, if daughter exposes that to mom, she destroys mom. Now, it also the other way around. Sometimes the wife knows that her husband was, was uh, unfaithful to her, but the daughter, who thought her daddy you know, was a daddy's princess, she's 25 years, she let her daddy walk on water. Now mom says, no, dad was, was unfaithful to me. Now you destroy relationships in the, in the aid of getting help. The people who know each other know too much, and what it takes away is, remember the key phrase I said earlier, uniqueness and individuality of every relationship relationship is the key to everything. You rob that if you have people who know each other too well. Even if you have best friends, if you and I were best pals growing up, you knew my mom and I knew yours. If my mom mm -hmm. dies and I say, well, you know, she could be stubborn. No, that wasn't her. That was you. You were a brat. Mm -hmm. Well, now mm -hmm. I can't mm -hmm. be my truth. Now it's you have an opinion about mine and it destroys it. That's why family members can never work together in grief recovery because there are Amazing. different relationships. And by the way, you, do you have any siblings? Yes, I do. Okay, I can guarantee if you get the other you say, remember when, remember when we were 14 or so, remember when mom did this and dad did that? And I go, no, dad didn't do that. Was, that was Aunt, Aunt Mary. Nobody's right. memory is right. the same. And therefore, in grief recovery, you have to be careful when you start getting into the bits and pieces of memory, which a memory is the most fallible of all human things. It's the most inexact right. of all things. Now, nobody will be lying, but they will all have a different story. And nobody's mm -hmm. lying. So we can't work together because... The, we're not so interested in the storyline as the heartline. Heartline is the key. Everything about this interview is about emotion. And, and facts and figures aren't always remembered correctly, but emotions, I trust people if they tell me they had a, a, a warm, fuzzy relationship with someone or a more troublesome one. That would be the key. But we don't let someone else have an opinion about your relationship. Your relationship with your wife is uniquely yours. Her relationship with you is totally different than yours with her. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you got to know that going in. So that's why you, you can't work together with your spouse because you have different relationships to the people who you have in common. And even if not, for example, if I'm going to do grief recovery and I have to talk about the losses of my life, well, I was married twice before I met Alice, my, my current wife. Mm -hmm. And 
can she sit in a room while I tell how devastated I was when my first wife let me left me? No way. It, although she knows I'm divorced, it, she can't sit in a room and listen to my heartbreak about my first wife leaving sure. me or how how sure. I. It's just unfair. It's more emotional information than anyone needs. So anyway, I'm going into way into details. I you know hopefully uh, people will pick up on this, but go get a come get a copy of Moving Beyond Loss, um, and then get a copy of the Grief Recovery Handbook. And again. Most of our books are available in libraries. I don't care if people spend money, but I want them to spend time getting their heart back. That's all I really care about. Money, well, I don't You bring up a very money. good point, Russ. You, you bring up a very good point, and, and, and I'm going to make the point in that is, uh, you know, I don't know what the uh, – I'm sure there's a cost associated with <laughs> taking classes or having one-on-one counseling, but I, and I would feel that there is absolutely no price you could put on peace of mind healing. I couldn't agree with you more. Because the, the, the cost you pay emotionally and psychically for not getting emotionally complete will bankrupt every every aspect of your being. Whereas a few bucks spent to get get a, uh, get your choice back, get your energy back, get your life back, get your heart back is cheap at the price. Now, people people do stuff about money, but in, after they've been through our stuff, they said, if I'd known what it was in advance, I'd have paid 20 times more because the value is, 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 is beyond, beyond belief. But you know what? We don't care. We don't even care about that. What we care about, because you can go get the Grief Recovery Handbook and do the work and never give us a penny. You can go get in the library and do the work without ever paying a penny. Do I mm-hmm. care? No, but if you send me a thank you note saying your book changed my life, I read it in the library, I'll go, wow, tell everybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, as you will. And, you know, if money was the issue, John and I would, would make widgets, you know, sell billions of widgets in department stores or something. We're not, <laughs> we're not into money. We're into hearts. Well, what I want to do, Russ, is I want to leave it at that. Uh, give, it, give the uh, web address again because I, I just would love for you to agree uh, to come back on the show again, and let's have uh, a whole other segment and section about this because this can really, really go deep. And uh, I, I just would love, love for you to be our regular expert on this. Anytime you got me, you know my number, and I know yours. And the website is www.griefrecoverymethod.com. And uh, if anyone there, well, this would be a secret, don't tell anybody, but if anyone who goes into the website, reads some of the articles, stuff, has any questions, send me an email at rfriedman, R-F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N, at griefrecoverymethod.com. And I will, it may take me a few days to answer you because I get thousands of, you know, you know, uh, communications a month, but I will answer. If anyone has any questions, uh, please, uh, please send them in, you know, so. That's between you and me and the millions of people listening. <laughs> I so appreciate you, Russ. I so appreciate you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, doing this work, whatever led you to this work. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're, you're just a godsend. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.